writing that book, more and more churches came to me until I did have a quickening in my spirit that, you know what, I need to pass off these other companies and I need to focus on this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, the CPA, and your host for this show. Well, hey, we have a unique and interesting guest for you today. Leanne Crockett joined us for the show, and her career story is one that includes being very successful in big-name corporate America, then stopping that career path in order to raise her family, and then using some of those skills to fashion a new career path in an area that she's truly passionate about, helping churches with their financial needs. Leanne is the owner of Bellwether Church Solutions, as well as Good Books, her newest offering. I was particularly intrigued with the Good Books part of her business. She's serving a sub-niche of her already very specific niche, and she's been able to create something that's pretty unique for her market. Make sure you listen all the way through so you get an idea of how that specialty service works. It's really pretty innovative. I think you're definitely going to find it intriguing. And if you do enjoy this podcast, as I've mentioned a couple times before, please do take the time to rate us in your podcast app. I know it takes a little effort, but it really does help others decide to try out the show. If you can find just an extra one or two minutes to leave us a review, we would really appreciate it. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Leanne Cross. Well, hello, Leanne. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Well, for the audience, we have Leanne Crockett on the line today with Bellwether Church Solutions. Leanne is an accountant with a very, very defined niche, (laughs) which is exactly why I wanted her on the program today. And she happens to be in my geographical area, which Honestly, it's been a while since we got anyone on the show from San Antonio, so that's sort of a treat in and of itself for me. But I think you're going to find Leanne's career journey very insightful as well. It's going to be valuable for all of us. I definitely want to get into your business now, of course, but it's important we understand how your career has grown and developed over time. What led you to consider accounting as a possible career? In the first place. Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. I actually worked my way through college, and back in the days when you could afford to pay for college by working your way through college, <laughs> I don't want to age myself, but I think at University of Texas at that time, tuition was 400 a semester, <laughs> so it was a little Ooh. different then. And I worked my way through college as a bookkeeper, and of course, the first two years, I started out as a liberal arts English major, and I said, I really like this bookkeeping stuff. I think I'm going to change my major to business. And as I looked around the business school, I could see that accounting was probably the best basis for any direction I wanted to go in business, honestly. And so I suffered through intermediate accounting and got into the upper level courses and ended up with my degree in accounting and went from there and I've never looked back. Interesting. I didn't know the liberal arts piece. That is interesting. Okay. I know. Yeah. I was going to go to law school and do all of that. And I'm very, very pleased with my choice. It turned out to be a good one. (laughs) Worked out well. Worked out well. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. 
when I was looking online, it looks like you started out at Halliburton immediately out of school and you were there so long. I was curious if that's the way it happened. How did you get that job at Halliburton? And, and was it your first professional job, so to speak? Yes, actually. And it is interesting. At the placement center at the University of Texas Business School, they always told you to schedule a few practice interviews. Interviews with companies that you didn't care about whether you got a job with them or not, but just so that you could do better at the interviews you really wanted. And of course, at that time, I'm really dating myself now, we had the big eight accounting firms, and those were the interviews I was very interested in. So I scheduled a job interview with Halliburton and Chevron and a couple of others just to practice. And what piqued my interest was the manager of their internal audit department was actually a UT grad really liked him, and he talked about travel and international travel. And neither of my parents actually went to college, and so it was a big deal. I was the first one to go that route. And one of the pieces of advice my mom had always given me was, travel before you get married. And so he made this offer to me about international travel, and I thought, well, that would be great. And I went ahead and did my other interviews, had job offers from uh CPA firms. And it was kind of a really big decision at the time to say no to that and to move to Duncan, Oklahoma, of all places. And I mean, you are literally in the middle of nowhere. And wow. I stepped out and took that job and really never looked back for 14 years. I loved my career with Halliburton. And I started out as an entry-level auditor and did mostly traveling around the U.S. the first six months or so until I had a um, come-to-Jesus meeting with my manager, with my <laughs> audit manager, and I said, you are wasting your money and my time by having me copy papers and set up audit files. I can run an audit. And he laughed and said, well, we'll let you cook your own goose. I said, okay. So he sent me out on the next audit as the in-charge, and it wasn't a difficult audit. It was more of an inventory-type audit because we did everything from procedural financial audits at international locations to literally climbing bulk material tanks in Podunk, Nebraska, and dropping a measuring tape down the tank so we could take inventory and put me in charge. And I managed to do a good job on that audit and so gained more and more responsibility and took on more audits. My next one was actually six weeks in Venezuela. And oh. I was not in charge, of course, on my first international audit. I was just one of five auditors there and just loved it, absolutely loved that whole experience and kept doing that kind of work for them until I did an audit of the research facility. And I was a little disappointed because that meant I was going to be in literally in Duncan for two or three months because we had the most incredibly beautiful millions of dollar research facility there. And very, very interesting. They had a $20 million budget at the time for research per year. And they didn't have any financial people on the staff of the research facility. And so one of the recommendations, I was in charge of this audit, and one of the recommendations we made was that they should have a controller-type position on the VP's staff because 
They literally had hundreds of research projects in process at any one time and no means of really capturing the cost per project. So they weren't able to do cost-benefit analysis and things like that easily. And so when the report was complete and presented to the vice president of research, he said, great, but we want Leanne Perkins at the time. We want her to be our person. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, I'm not living in Duncan, Oklahoma. (laughs) And my boss was very kind and he didn't force me to do it, but they convinced me to try it for a year. And I actually loved it, loved the position, worked intensely. And this is back when we didn't have PCs. Everybody was still using the old CRT screens, you know, that were cabled to big computer systems. And so I oversaw the installation of all of that into this huge facility with 500 employees. I oversaw the... um, design of a project management system. Remember, this is way before ERP and all the wonderful programming abilities we have now. This was back, you know, when we were having to do batch processing every night. And we created, it was a year-long process of creating a system, me on the research side, along with a couple of IT people there at Halliburton, created a project management system. And then, unbeknownst to me, the IT people did not write the manual for user systems. They looked at me and said, so you need to write a manual. So so I spent the next few weeks, day and night, coming up with a 300-page manual and then instructing about 700 engineers in how to use it and how to use the system. So once that project was complete... They had a second research facility in Houston, Texas, under a subsidiary, and they decided they should have the same type of position for the VP of research for that division of Halliburton, and I said, please, send me to Houston. (laughs) I was so (laughs) excited to get back to Texas at that point, so I took the same, I moved laterally to assistant to this VP of research under Halliburton Logging Systems at that time. And did the same thing there. So got a lot of management consulting type work, a lot of presentation, a lot of documentation type experience, along with the accounting. And then, of course, somebody had to do the analyzing of all those reports we were creating every month now on all the project accounting. So I got to do that as well. So it was really fun. It was a great job, a great experience, and not too long. I was in Houston a couple of years. Halliburton, you know how the large corporations are. They like to completely reorganize every so often. (laughs) So um, Halliburton, let's see, five years before, we had divided everybody out into separate divisions and separate companies, and now we were going to bring everybody back under the Halliburton Energy Services moniker, and... They had a position open for assisting a vice president of operations there for Halliburton Reservoir Services and asked me if I'd be interested in that position, which meant a little more travel and meant kind of switching gears, well, kind of a lot switching gears, because at that point, only working with operations people literally all over the world and lawyers. I was working with operations people and lawyers 
during that whole time. And any project that the vice president of operations would give me, which was quite a variety of projects from resource management to human resource management to taking care of annual budgets worldwide for districts and then divisions and then regions and then the whole operations, pulling all that together. And it was really fun. It was a really great experience. And as my mom liked to say, Leanne thought she was the general's driver because <laughs> being the assistant <laughs> to the vice president of operations, you know, whatever Leanne said people did because they knew who would hear about it if they didn't do it. So <laughs> I got away with a lot, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah. And it was at that point in my life that I got married. I was actually never getting married. That was my goal in life. <laughs> <laughs> because I really enjoy working and I wanted a career and I loved my career and everybody thought I bled red and gray like Halliburton. But I met my husband and called my sister the next day and said, I think I'm getting married and was married six months later. And that put a whole different outlook on working and my career. And I was 32 years old at that point and had my first child at 34. And decided then that I was going to stay home and raise my kids. And I'm sure you probably felt the shockwaves over here from Houston because (laughs) no one could believe that Leanne was going to stay home and raise kids. But I did. I stayed home, but I didn't quit working. As my husband says, I love to play office. So it wasn't too long until I actually started doing consulting and creating a whole nother career for myself as I raised three daughters and homeschooled my three daughters. So, Oh, wow. Okay. I homeschool as well. I, wow. This yeah, story just it, gets better and better. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, let me tell you, it was the best of both worlds. It really was. I enjoy it, enjoyed it thoroughly. I've always enjoyed what I do. So that makes such a big difference, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. I was curious what the decision process was to leave Halliburton or if that had happened to you, you know, and you decided to start consulting. But it sounds like it was a very intentional decision on your part. It was very intentional and very difficult. I remember the night before I made the final decision with my husband and I turned and looked at him and he said, I think my oldest was two years old then. And he said, I think the only thing we're going to regret is that you didn't do it sooner. Hmm. And I was shocked. I was really shocked because, you know, we were giving up a lot, a lot for me to stay at home. And I said, okay, then. So I went in the next day and let them know. And from there, it was really interesting. For several years after that, people would say, well, what do you do, Leanne? And I'd say, oh, well, I worked for Halliburton. And then I would start to tell them about my whole Halliburton career. It took me a couple of years to adjust to I'm a stay-at-home mom. Psychologically, it was kind of a jump. It was a jump. But I finally got over it. (laughs) You just said a couple of years. And earlier, you said it wasn't too long before you started some self-employment activity, which I'm assuming that's Crockett Consulting, right? Yes. Yeah, I called it Crockett Consulting because, you know, you have to file like Schedule C under something, right? So (laughs) (laughs) because I was actually doing ad hoc consulting 
for small businesses that needed processes documented. They needed internal control reviews. I also worked with actually teaching accounting through a local junior college. I did some of that. And this was as I'm having children. I had three daughters in six years. And then as they got old enough to start homeschooling them, I started doing more work where I could just do work from home, bookkeeping and that kind of thing. I still worked for Halliburton occasionally. They would call me to do some project work. And I also even got into, because of my interest in homeschooling my children, I got into an educational company that did sales. And I was an independent salesperson, but I worked with them for several years and built a huge team, had about 250 people under me who were all working with this company. And it gave me an outlet for my team building that I love to do. I got national recognition for success, which I'm not going to lie, it's an important thing to me. Um, (laughs) I uh, even was asked by the CEO of this rather large company, they had a loss of a person, a very important position in their office, right a couple of months before their national convention. And he called on me and asked me to come and plan their national convention. So, you know, I did just a real variety of things. And as my kids got older, I started basically, I guess, a homeschool school. Is there such a thing? But one day a week, I would have about 25 students between half in the morning and half in the afternoons. And I taught worldview curriculum, which includes your literature, writing, history, economics, art history, philosophy, all of those subjects, and did economics camps in the summers. I do five-day economics intense camp for students, and, you know, I'm always just finding something to do. Wow. Okay. (laughs) There's a lot I'd like to ask you about later, just because we're in the same area, but we'll save that for (laughs) for outside the podcast. Sounds good. From the homeschooling standpoint, yeah, just curious. So it looked like you had the Crockett Consulting business for a long time, from what I Mm -hmm. saw online, 20 years or so. Was that Mm -hmm. entire time part-time consulting or it was you know, obviously your kids are getting older okay okay I wasn't yeah. sure okay yeah okay so was it 2014 that you started branching out of that or uh, well it when, was when did you start it, your it, church it, solutions uh-huh. Go okay. Okay. I will back up to 2014 for just a minute okay because okay. I really wanted to get out of the house for a bit and so a friend of mine said, well, we got some good friends who run a nonprofit here in San Antonio, and they're looking for an office manager slash accounting type person to work part-time. And I said, well, yeah, I'd be interested in meeting them and just fell in love with these people. And it was really interesting because I wanted to get out of the house. I'd also done some interviews in the couple of weeks before I met these folks and for some pretty big jobs here in town, some names you would know of the companies, and hadn't even gone back for second interviews, but hadn't really heard. And this nonprofit, City Reachers, had offered me this position, and they were real excited about the possibility they needed to be brought into the 20th century. They didn't even have a website at that point. 
and talked with my husband. We prayed about it, and he said, I think you are supposed to take that job. Well, of course, the very first day, I'm literally at their office, and I'm not making any money at this job. 20 oh. hours a week, they can't afford to pay me much, which is why I kept saying, are you sure? Are you, you know? <laughs> the very first day I'm at that job, I heard from one of the other companies at about quadruple the income, and they were offered me a position. And I said, may I please let you know tomorrow? And I went home and told my husband. He and I, again, discussed and prayed about it. And the next morning, he said, I think you should stay at City Reachers. And I said, I know. I think I'm supposed to stay there. And so I stayed there for two years. And what's interesting about that whole two-year period, it was really in preparation for starting my accounting church business. Because I had the opportunity during that two years to literally just bring in anything technologically relevant that I could. I had the freedom to do that, as well as this particular nonprofit, their function is to bring together other nonprofits in town. And so I must have met two to 300 nonprofit directors during that two years. Yeah, it was amazing. And I have to believe there's a bigger plan than mine because I never would have taken the job. I mean, I would have taken the job making a lot more money in a corporate setting, you know. And instead, I took this little job and made all these connections with all these nonprofits and church leaders. And at that point, decided then I was ready to work from home. And I started doing books. And At first, I wasn't smart enough to think about niche and niche accounting. So if anybody needed their books done and they came to me, I would take them on. And I was doing a travel agency, a construction company, a publisher, just a variety of industries. And, you know, that's kind of difficult to switch hats every hour or so. And I was like, wow, I'm not sure what I think about this. And then it happened. I received a call from a gentleman that I had known just briefly, a few years previously, but I knew him well enough to know his voice, and I knew from his voice something was terribly wrong, and he was a pastor of a church. And I said, what happened? What can I help you with? And he said, we believe that our treasurer has embezzled from our church. And I said, what do you mean? It was beyond me to even really accept those words you know? And he began to give me some of the details, and I was absolutely flabbergasted. And I was just stunned. So I hung up, and I agreed to help them. And this was going to be my first virtual client, actually, because they were over in the Houston area. And I went into, what do I need to do to work with them virtually? How do I need to get them, I got them to, you know, an online accounting software. They were using QuickBooks, so that wasn't a difficult thing to do. And syncing their bank, and I have quite the tech stack. I use HubDoc, I use Bill.com, I use Expensify, all of those wonderful tools that we have now. And yeah, they had been embezzled $65,000 over eight months. And they were a small church. I mean, $12,000 a month budget. So you think, how could that even happen, right? Yeah. Wow. But let me tell you how it happens. The treasurer quits paying the payroll taxes two years before, 
and oh. starts putting all the church expenses on the church credit card until it reaches its $30,000 limit while he's spending the cash. And nobody knows it because all they have are Excel spreadsheet financial statements. Wow. Yeah. You know, wow. And that, frankly, that's so simple to do and just people, yeah, don't even realize. Oh my God. It's gosh. shocking. It's shocking. So as I got into this with this church, I started researching it because honestly, I mean, I am naive. I will admit to you, I'm naive about some things. And I just was beyond me that anybody would steal from the church. And I found out that approximately one third of churches experience embezzlement or fraud. And I thought, no, this can't be. And I started researching it more and more and more, which led me to write the book, Preventing Fraud in Church Accounting. And that book came out in January of 2019. And it was intended to be a layman's book for a church leadership team to read over an hour-long meeting just to say, hey, you guys need to have your eyes open and you need to be paying attention. And by writing that book, more and more churches came to me until I did have a quickening in my spirit that, you know what, I need to pass off these other companies and I need to focus on this because there is such a need for some independent eyes looking at these churches' books. And so... Bellwether was created. Bellwether is actually the lead sheep that wears the bell around its neck that follows the shepherd. And oh, that was, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know, everybody's like, how do you spell Bellwether? <laughs> I'm like, why I did I pick that spelled. name? Why did I pick that name? No, nope, I didn't. I didn't misspell it, but I wish I had. <laughs> I actually had to buy the URL spelled with an A as well, so people could find it, you know. But, yeah, anyway, so I started just focusing on churches. Well, my market, or what my intent was to help smaller churches, and what's happened instead is that my client base is more middle-sized churches who want full-service bookkeeping. And I even have several associations, which are... And I didn't even know associations existed before this, but these are organizations that have member churches. And so one of my associations has 250 churches as part of its membership, and another one has about 200 churches, and one of them has 50 churches in their association. So I'm actually keeping the books for the association, helping them with their budgeting and doing their payroll and all of that. So that's kind of where I've ended up. And it still didn't fill that need that I felt was out there for the small church that truly can't afford a full bookkeeping service. And that was the barrier. I ran into two barriers in trying to get to the people that I really wanted to help. And that was, number one, we can't afford you. And number two, well, Aunt Susie's done our books for 37 years, and she knows everything about it. And I'd be thinking to myself, yes, and that's why someone needs to look at it. (laughs) Because the average perpetrator of embezzling a church has been a member seven to eight years. But nobody looks because we're so Christianly. We just trust each other. And we don't want to hurt their feelings by asking them to actually see the bank statement. So it's a real need. It's a real need out there. So which 
is why in January of this year, I've actually launched a second company called Good Books. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Good Books is a division of Bellwether, and I've partnered with Zero, and I'm able to offer for a really nominal monthly subscription the bookkeeping software and the resources that they need to set up their books correctly, to sync everything. I teach them how to create the banking rules. I partner with Gusto Payroll, and so if they want to have payroll service, they work through my Gusto partnership. And so, honestly, for $100 a month, they can have all the bookkeeping and payroll automated and have my company as a resource for questions. Kind of a, almost oh. a DIY service wow. for them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm training them. I'm doing video training through my website and I'm blogging like mad to, because I have found there's about 10 problems that every single church that comes to me has. They have at least one of these problems, if not all of them. Mistakes in paying pastor taxes. Pastors are dual tax citizens, dual tax citizens. They are self-employed and they are W-2 employees. And it's amazing. There's a lot of accountants who don't know that and don't know what to do with it. I didn't know what to do with it when I started out. Their records are out of date. I'm actually working for a new client today. Their church has been in existence three years and they've never reconciled a bank account. They have no procedural controls. They're paying everybody as a contractor. I have a client, just as a warning to those who may be listening and paying people as contractors, I have a nonprofit client who was paying everyone as contractor. The IRS came in and slapped them with back taxes, fines, and penalties for three years of salaries. It was a $55,000 tax bill because they were paying people as contractors that were technically W-2 employees. None of the volunteer bookkeepers know what a journal entry is, and so their payroll liabilities are just a mess because they don't reconcile those accounts. Just, you know, very, very common mistakes that I see in every single church, and there's just a real need. So that's my passion now, and that's why I named my company Good Books, and it's so cute. One of my friends said, oh, you mean like QuickBooks? And I said, no, like the good book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, QuickBooks hadn't even crossed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's where how good books came into play. And I'm working like mad to launch it now and get the word out. And I feel like I am having to convince every, you know, the biggest barriers. Oh, well, we've always done it this way. And I have a very wonderful friend, Bryant Truitt, who is a certified fraud examiner. He wrote the foreword to my book, and he can tell you that he's called in constantly to investigate in churches, and it's just a sad situation. It's an easy mark, as they say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am so excited for you. You have a subscription <laughs> accounting service is what you've created here. It is. Just, um, I mean, they get all the help from you that they need. Mm-hmm. They, you've set them up with systems that you know, so you've automated you know, things for them in some mm-hmm. way. And then you have all these extra resources and it's affordable. Wow. And that's my goal. That's my goal. And I want every church to have good books. 
That's my mantra. <laughs> I want every <laughs> church to have good books, and I hope it happens. Every church should have good books. That's your tag. You don't well, have to my, pay me for that tagline. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, wow. I actually just did a conference in Houston, the Texas Ministry Conference, which was churches of all denominations. And I'm going to do some Baptist Association conferences and just get the word out. Do you know what's interesting? With this current crisis that we're in, everyone's having to work virtually And I'm like, wow, Lord, everybody's figuring out they can do this. And because that is a big obstacle that I have is like, well, you're in San Antonio. How can we work with you? Well, it's easy. We get on Zoom and I click around here and show you what we're talking about. And we take care of business. That's how. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this crisis is going to change things a lot. Yeah, if people won't know because this won't come out till yeah, mid-April, maybe late April. I need to look at the posting schedule, but we're recording this the first day that San Antonio is on lockdown, where we both are. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to mm-hmm. come out later, but yeah, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting what comes out of all this. Yeah, one of my churches contacted me and said, "Could you help us set up?" standing Zoom meetings for all of our small groups. And I said, sure, yeah, of course I can do that. So that all of their different little small groups can just click on at, you know, 7 o'clock on Tuesday or 6.30 on Wednesday, and they can all still get together. Wow. Mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time. And you really have me a treat. I could ask questions for a couple more hours. This, this is a really... <laughs> Good story. <laughs> I do what a couple things before we get to the final questions. What do you most enjoy about what you do now? Well, what I most enjoy is freeing up these people to focus on their real mission, to relieve them from the headache of the paperwork and administrative work, and not only relieve them of it, but for it to be better than they had before. And it just thrills me to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can hear the passion in your voice, Leanne. I mean, you sound excited about what you do. That's awesome. I, I do. I love it. I love it. If you could go back in time, knowing what you know now about your career, because I'm thinking about younger individuals that are just going through school or just starting their career. But I'm curious if you could go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice. What do you think that might be? I think it would be not to waste so much time and not to be afraid. And because even when I was working a corporate job, I really had the time and the opportunity to be bold enough. I could have really had another business going at that time. With accounting, you just have so many opportunities. And I just wish I would have started this years ago. And I think I could have done it even when I was doing corporate work. I'm sure you could, actually, based on what you were telling. You were were never going to get married at that point? Never. What did you say? You bled red and brown or something like that? I bled red and gray, just like Halliburton truck. That's right. Yeah, I was never getting married, and I was never having kids. (laughs) I was a career woman. (laughs) You could have two side businesses. Shoot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. My gosh. Yeah. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Let me get down to the final questions because I want to make sure that we leave enough time for that. And I want to be respectful of your time. First one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Oh, my gosh. Only (laughs) one. It's supposed to be the easy one. (laughs) Yeah, only one. 
maybe passing the CPA exam, really. That was a huge door opener and a huge accomplishment that I'm really grateful for and my education prepared me really well for. And I'm glad, I'm very proud that I made the effort to do that because especially being in the corporate world, I could have probably succeeded without having done that, but I knew that it would open doors that I wouldn't have. So I'm very proud that I did that. I'm glad you said that. I'm a big believer in certification. And Mm -hmm. your story proves the point that, yeah, you you may be at a point in your career where you're thinking, I can succeed without being certified. I'm on this path. Mm -hmm. But you never know what the future holds, you know, and you Mm -hmm. never know how how your own desires are going to change. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good lesson. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we learn. <laughs> oh, that's not hard. Um, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not documenting your processes. You know, I'm so good at doing it for other people, right? But then <laughs> when it comes to my own company, and I was growing so fast and having to bring on, I have four people working for me now. And I was ready to pass off clients to them, but I couldn't do it without babysitting them for three months because I hadn't documented my processes. And so please don't waste your time by not documenting your processes. Take the time to do it right from the get-go. If you Mm -hmm. ever want to grow or if you ever want help. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, last Mm -hmm. question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? When I felt completely overwhelmed because there was just too much work to do, too much work to do, the vice president of operations at Halliburton, who was somebody who walked the halls with really famous people, said to me, Leanne, put it all in a stack and do the next thing. And I said, what? And he goes, clear off your desk, put it in a stack the best you can priority-wise. Don't worry too much about that even. Just get it all in a stack and do the next thing. And it's amazing how that works. That is great advice. Yeah, sometimes all you can do is just take the next step and then figure out what's after that after that. (laughs) Well, you know, and instead of feeling overwhelmed, at least you've accomplished one little next thing. Yes. So, yeah, that's always been good advice for me, and that's I have to remind myself of it occasionally. That's wonderful advice, for sure. <laughs> well, if somebody's listening to this episode and they know a church that needs help, where do they find you? They can find me at Call Bellwether, C-A-L-L, Bellwether, B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R.com, callbellwether.com, or they can look at goodbooks.church. Oh, yeah, good, yeah goodbooks.church. That's the subscription service, but they can find Bellwether through there as well. Beautiful. Well, thank you again. I've really enjoyed this. I've learned so much more, much more than I bargained for. So thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Well, I really appreciate you asking me. It's been fun to talk with you. No problem.
Well, that was my interview with Leanne Crockett, and I'm sure you picked this up as well, but she just has such a positive energy level. I mean, she sounds uplifting. Those interviews are always so much fun to record. A couple of the takeaways I had are, number one, and I'm sorry to mention this again, but just really the insight about getting your certification. She talks about becoming a CPA and how she thought, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been necessary and at that point in her career, but I think there's a lesson in there for all of us because it definitely benefits her now in what she does and you never know what life's going to bring so there was definitely some good insight there and then secondly just how fulfilled she sounds now with what she's doing I mean she's truly happy with the services that she's providing and really the joy that comes with it when providing services to churches and it's just very refreshing to talk to somebody that enjoys what they do so much. Well, if you found value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online, of course, and please leave us a rating in your podcast app. I know I've mentioned it a couple times, but it really is beneficial and we always appreciate it. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the Where Accountants Go podcast, and we'll see everyone next week. There's more to come.